from the Multiply family of churches, we are Behind Open Doors, a podcast designed to take you behind the scenes, discovering what it takes to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. We're located in the U.S., the Hampton Roads region of Virginia. Visit us at multiplythechurch.com. My name is Aaron Denini, Executive Director of the Multiply family of churches, and I am joined today by our Director of Missions, Dr. John No. <laughs> Maybe one day, right? No. John Slinker? No? no? You don't think so? No, it'll be honorary if it didn't grow, I'm telling you. Honorary yep. Dr. John Slinker. Yep. You know what? That brings know. to mind a, a, a Dr. Carson that mm-hmm. you worked for at Southeastern, of course, passed away years ago. And they recently at Southeastern named the building that he was in, I think it was Patterson Hall, yeah. um, after him. How did that land with you? How do you feel about that? Man, it felt so. I was so encouraged. That's um, so cool. He was such a good dude. He was honored well. Yeah, man. he was honored well while he was still living. I got to be his assistant, and um, that, that meant that uh, always that always a lot shocked of different me. Things. Yeah, that always shocked me a little bit. So tell me, talk to me a little bit about that. So I didn't even plan to do this, but this is yeah. Really, he's he was he was such an interesting guy. He was he was uh, an African American pastor in the mountains of North Carolina for a long time, blind from childhood. Uh, so he, he, there was a, a few years that he could see, and then um, his vision left, and uh, he just stayed faithful to the Lord. And, I mean, he's got so many stories of just revitalizing churches and just being in the, in the church for years at a time, just helping them come back to health. And people would, you know, while out, and they'd stand up as he was in the pulpit, and you know, trying to instruct and they, some lady would disagree and he would quote unquote, just look right at her. Right. And, and call her out by name and tell her to sit down and in love and peace and grace. Some people would chuckle and he just had this way to like put you in your place, but you knew that he loved you. Mm. And so you received it. Yeah. And, uh, did he ever put you in your place? Yeah. A little bit every now and then. Yeah. Uh, I got the job because I, I said in the interview that my grandfather was one of my best friends Mm. and, uh, he told me that's, that's why he picked me. And I walked him around campus. Uh, I drove him to a million doctor's appointments. (laughs) I I spent more time in the doctor's office than I did the classroom (laughs) that semester. Um, and uh, but it was it was awesome. I learned so much. You know, it was at a time when I was pastoring, so I was asking him a million questions. Yeah. Um, first, one of the first times pastoring in that degree, so uh, he was, you know, telling me a lot of the old stories about how a lot of the things I'm I'm experiencing are are no different than they were 30, 40 years ago. Um, but figuring out where the similarities and differences were was really interesting for us and fun conversations. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. He was, he was a great man. He, he uh, always made fun of and loved Bill Clinton to some extent. I don't know (laughs) like how much or not, but right. It was hilarious. A a good pastor is always somewhere in the middle, right? Well, on that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, he, yeah, he would make fun of him and he would love him. And he just had this weird obsession with Bill Clinton. (laughs) And if you know, Dr. Carson, you know that, you know, that was, that was his thing. And And donuts. Donuts. (laughs) Yeah. Remember that? Donut. He would say that in the middle of a message or the middle of a worship service. When he He got excited. Yeah. He he would scream donuts or he would scream Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Just, (laughs) 
out of nowhere. There, we'd be walking down the sidewalk. Beautiful fall day. The leaves were turning. You know, some of them were falling off. Just a slight breeze in Wake Forest, North Carolina, 3 p.m. And it's just quiet. The birds are chirping. All of a sudden, like the students walking past you would jump when he would just yell, Bill! <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, oh they just got gosh. out of class learning something about, you know. Yeah, they're talking about Spurgeon and, the, yeah, you know, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Boo! Yeah, you're feeling so smart <laughs> and religious. Yeah. And then he shouts Bill for wow. Bill Clinton, wow. amongst other things. It was great. I love that guy. Um, he could he could teach, and he lived it, too. Mm. That's pretty amazing. Um, well, we want to remind you that before we go uh, into today's topic, that this podcast is written, produced, and distributed all in the Multiply family. Yeah, your giving to the Multiply Project makes this possible. We're so grateful for the support structure that exists here in our family of churches. And, you know, we live, we wake up, we we breathe disciple-making and uh, creating, helping develop other leaders. And a part of that is through resources. And, um, you know, whether that's walking alongside someone, uh, and in addition, planting and pastoring churches, uh, the Multiply family is here for you. Uh, whether you're a member of one of our churches, a prospective intern or a resident, a pastor, we want to help you multiply the gospel where you're at. Amen. And you can give to this Multiply project by making a pledge with us or a one-time donation at multiplythechurch.com. We would love to see some support increase there um, because I, I believe the increase is just going to uh, help us um, to increase the output. Um, that's really where we're at when it comes to uh, raising up new planters, getting them ready to be sent out. We've got a, a new plant coming in the next year, year and a half or so, and so we're excited about that. Mm. And uh, just excited what God's got going on for multiplying the church. Yeah, amen. Amen. So uh, these next few episodes, we've talked about that we are going to do sit-downs, a season of sit-downs. And today we have a fresh sit-down coming your way. And um, it's with a person of high interest to the show of Behind Open Doors, one that we love dearly in this area of Hampton Roads, one that uh, has, in, in multiple senses, in multiple ways, left all that he has to go and minister the gospel where there's need. And, uh, and I admire this person for that. Uh, I admire his humor and the ability that we have when we get together to just laugh almost hysterically at times um, over old, you know, um, Chris Farley and Will Ferrell movies or um, whatever, whatever the humor may be. Um, we have a healthy rivalry as Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs fans, and also UNC and KU fans as well. Somehow we remain friends, um, but we have a, a deep, deep, deep brotherly love for one another. And um, man, John Slinker, I love you, bro. And I'm excited to kind of dig a little bit behind your open door today yeah. and just uh, uh, discover more about what makes you tick, uh, where you come from, and what you're all about. Um, so if, if I can give you a little bit of my understanding of your upbringing, and maybe you help us maybe affirm some of this, right? right. So my understanding is you you, um, you grow up 
kind of nominal Catholic mostly in your younger years. Um, Lake of the Ozarks with the Snells and the birds out there in uh, Missouri. Um, <laughs> uh, confirm, confirm nor deny. No comment. <laughs> All of that. And um, as a young guy, you moved to Grandview, Missouri, and then eventually over to Overland Park um, across the Kansas City side, which, you know, I don't know a lot about that area, but it's intriguing to me that there's one city and two states, and somehow that works, and uh, mm. you guys out there, uh, so, you know, we got multiple people in the last five years that had come through our area from that area. Yeah. And so it's been really interesting to see you guys interact. And um, somehow I've gotten along with all of you. Well, um, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> Some, somehow. Uh, so it must be a cool place. I mean, the, the greatest thing about it, I grew up on state line. And, um, you know, uh, if, if you ever run a red light or have <laughs> some... <laughs> Red and blue behind you, you can just duck over to the other state, and yeah. most of the time you're all right. <laughs> right, right, right. And we'll talk about what car that was in here shortly. <laughs> um, so there was no outrunning anybody in that car. So okay. it was it was just maneuvers. Well, so let's let's talk about that then, because you you went to Blue Valley High School, I did. where you also drove a baby blue. Ford Tempo. That's right. Now, I understand this to be a bit of a point of contention or concern, um, <laughs> at least in your in your life. Can, can we talk? You know I'm a car guy. Yeah, you know? man. So I want to talk about this blue Tempo. Yeah. Here. Well, Baby it was, blue. It was no yellow Alfa Romeo. <laughs> well, yeah, I had vintage. a red one back oh, in those days. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's yellow now. Sorry. <laughs> it wasn't baby blue is yeah, the point. It wasn't a convertible. So... I come home after having to drive this baby blue, like 91 Ford Tempo, right? Wow. The, the seats were like made out of carpet or something. It was weird. I don't know. It was fine. It was a car. You know, I was grateful for it. But um, yeah, man, we didn't, my, the high school I grew up at, we had, we had a lot of people from the country. We had a lot of people uh, from the city and there was a lot of money in the city. And so sometimes there was, you know, BMWs, Mercedes, you name it, brand new. I bet you, dude, I bet there's probably 40 Teslas in that parking lot right now. But, um, so, but there's also trucks with shotguns hanging in the window behind, you know, and kids would get called out and like, Hey, you got to take your gun home, bro. What are you doing? So, um, it was, it was on the outskirts of town and, um, yeah, I was sitting there parking my baby blue tempo in the lot. And then I got home one day from a trip and I saw this navy blue car in our driveway down the street. And I was like, whose car is that? And then it hit me. I was like, oh, no, that's my car. They painted it. It's no longer baby blue. I hated the baby blue, but I hated the car worse. <laughs> I wanted a new car. My parents just went and got like a $300 paint job on it and turned it like navy blue. And I was grateful, but also really frustrated. Uh, and then like the next year and a half, I think I saved up some money and, and uh, I bought a Ford Ranger. So I was quite excited. That Ranger made up for the three years of having a baby blue car and, you know, having to take your date out and that. <laughs> yep. Oh, my goodness. Yep. That's I, awesome. I blame the lack of dates on my car, not me. In that age, obviously, obviously. yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Oh my goodness, man. So you, um, growing up in high school, 
Um, you play basketball, you know, yeah. that's one of the things that connected us to was just the ability yeah. to talk about sports, you know, I think was a, was a big deal. Um, but you had something pretty traumatic happen during your high school years, um, that put you in the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. talk about that. Cause, um, I think that was a, probably a very formative time in your young life. Yeah, yeah? very, very. I was 17, um, kind of three weeks all slammed together. There was uh, KU basketball camp that I went to um, most summers, and that was in Allen Fieldhouse. And so there's no air conditioning. It's July or August in the Midwest heat, and you know the place is like 110 degrees. And then you're running like crazy in front of Roy Williams back in the day. Ooh, yeah, and uh, Ryan Robertson and and all those guys. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah, I did a week of that, just toasted. And then a weekend of umpiring behind the plate, that was my main job uh, through high school, made great money umpiring. And um, so it was like 115, well, okay, let's be serious, 100, 105 for two days straight, like four hours behind the plate doing that. And then I left the next day to go to a week of church camp in Panama City Beach, Florida. And when I was down there, I stepped on a shell on the beach while we were snorkeling, cut my foot open. And uh, the resort, the the janky resort we were at, had just washed their carpets. Long story short, the doctors believe that I might have contracted some uh, virus by freshly shampooed carpets and the cut on my foot. That's the only explanation they have as to how I got what they think was Kawasaki's disease. Um, and so at first, when I was down there, I told my brother, who was two years older than me, I think he was a leader on that trip. I told him I wasn't feeling good one of the nights, and he was like, you just don't want to go listen to the message. And I was <laughs> like, nah, bro, I feel like <laughs> crap. So I, I stayed in the room feeling guilty because my brother gave me a guilt trip. And, uh, and I was like, Solid big brother move yeah, right, right there. Yeah. Totally, totally. <laughs> Zero compassion or empathy. Yep, that definitely made me a little bit of who I am. So... Um, Yeah. And then like the next day I woke up, I was fine. Hmm. And then I get home. uh, I fall asleep for three days and I wake up sporadically. um, And my mom takes my temperature 104. We go to the doctor's office. They give me a shot. They're like, you'll be better in 24 hours. Uh, And in a few hours I was in the ER and um, yeah, my skin started falling off my hands and feet and face and layers um, it was crazy, mostly my hands and, and feet. Um, but yeah, it was weird. Like I didn't, I didn't know what was happening. I just had this whole body ache. My body was shutting down. My nails stopped growing and you could see that there was like a line in my nails where it just kind of like stopped growing. My hair started, uh, not falling out, but it, it just got real thin and, and stopped growing. Um, and so I lost 45 pounds in a month. Um, I was a little overweight at the time, and so I could afford that uh, if I wasn't, who knows. But, um, yeah, they came into my room uh, about a month into, the, in, into being in the hospital, and they told my mom I wasn't going to wake up. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know what happened when, <laughs> like, that next morning? Uh, I do, in a second. Um, leave a little... Up cliffhanger um did you did you wake up did you end up waking up yeah wow yeah that's crazy my family was in the room and i was like what are you all doing here 
So anyways. No, what I was going to kind of pull back a little bit. And um, you said they, they think it was Kawasaki's disease. Yeah. All these symptoms yeah. were pretty close to or aligned with. Well, I, of course, I don't know yeah. much. I don't think people know much about what Kawasaki's disease yeah, is. Yeah, no, it right? happens. So. It, it's it's <clears throat> predominantly in children three and under. And mm. so the fact that I was a 17-year-old having this, the only way to really die now doctors might know better. I'm, I, this is all information that I picked up over the years because I was essentially knocked out this whole time mm-hmm. um, on pain meds. And so uh, it's just a process of elimination from every other disease that you can get. And so I had a spinal tap. I had, uh, they asked me if I wanted to do a blood transfusion, um, all that. So here's, here's where insert, you know, my, my uh, faith is at that um, youth retreat down in Panama City Beach, Florida. I was, I was feeling just like mad conviction the last night. And I just stiff-armed God and said, you know what? I'm 17. I'm finally starting to, you know, get some friends back and um, get back into the, the groups that I wanted to be in, that I used to be in, and um, just started getting noticed more. And I wanted life to be about me. I didn't want it to be, you know, I didn't want God to be a distraction for my success. Mm. Um, And so I just put him on the shelf, stiff armed him. And then, uh, yeah, like a few days later. Watch this. Yeah. (laughs) A few days later. Um, It's it's amazing how (laughs) the Lord can use such natural means to awaken his people. Right. Or at least remind his people yep. um, of, of where they are and where they need to be. Mm-hmm. Well, um, he, he, he ripped everything out of my hands. Yeah. You know, like I, there was no strength. It was all about watch this, hmm. wait and see what I can do. Yeah. And then he's like, you got nothing, bro. The only thing you got now is me and some cords hooked up to you. And yeah. uh, everything was stripped away. So, you very clearly and obviously wake up the next morning. Um, yeah, we kind of spoiled that there. one, didn't yeah, we? Yeah. <laughs> your parents are there, and you're like, "Hey, what's going on?" Whatever. Um, I actually didn't know what like how serious it was at the right. time. I'm, I I I realized when I didn't get a shower for a month that it was probably pretty serious. Hmm. So, what were what was their response? Your parents' response mm-hmm. to what was going on in, uh, yeah. Yeah. Dad had to keep being dad and providing and supporting the family. And, you know, I had a brother at home still. And so mom became, uh, the obvious caretaker at the hospital. She stayed there 24 seven, um, just super protective and, and supportive, uh, making sure that I had an advocate, um, that I needed. Hmm. So let's talk about your parents a little bit. Okay. Um, just, you know, kind of growing up, what was your relationship like with your parents? Um, did you gravitate towards one more than the other at different mm. times? And what, what was that like for you? Yeah. Well, um, you know, my parents know I'm not political, uh, but I'm going to be political on this one. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, uh, so my father um, was the quiet man a few words that you listen to when he spoke and he was always a hard worker put his head down he did the job uh never needed a thank you for it um but he's you know he's worked his tail off uh, quietly 
uh, for years and always respected him for that. Um, a sensitive man. He was a musician. He was an artist, uh, more of a, of a scientific musician mm. as opposed to just like a uber creative out of thin air musician. Um, so a theory guy, like really yeah, into that. huge yeah. theory, you know, he, he could sing in multiple languages. He played 20 something instruments and we mm. had a lot of instruments in the house growing up. And so that's where I get a lot of my creativity and love for music. Um, and inspiration, but my mother, I get my hustle and my drive from her father was uh, a Marine. And, um, so she was the third daughter to a Marine Ooh. and she was the tomboy. She ended up getting, um, like second or third in the world for baton twirling, uh, for her age bracket, which was like 16, 17, 18, something like that. Um, just always, uh, doing tournaments. And so, you know, she was the one yelling at the refs at my games. <laughs> she was the one getting kicked out uh, for no reason. That was a weird game, uh, but she did get kicked <laughs> out. You're welcome, mom. And um, yeah, just always, she was the one that told me, you know, you can sleep when you're dead and, and you, there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in basketball. That was Tom you, Hanks. That you lost. Mom. Well, I did. Oh. I did after a basketball game to one of our rival teams. I think I was in fourth or fifth grade. Oh man, I hated these guys. Just hated them. Isn't that I, crazy? Yeah. I knew as a kid you're not supposed to hate people. I just <laughs> wanted to hate these guys. Yeah. And so, because they were good, you know, I respected. Oh, yeah, them. Yeah, I respected them. So, we lost in the last few seconds, and I gave my all, and I started crying afterwards. And I, I tried to play it off using my inhaler, and my mom gets me into the into the van. She's like, "You wait till you get into the van to cry. You don't show the other team that you're." Anyways, that was helpful. Mm. Um, but that's that kind of explains my relationship um, and kind of my drive and a lot of my personality. But the the other thing uh, with my mother that she taught me being a teacher was everything's fixable, and um, you know an emergency on your part doesn't make it an emergency on my part. And uh, just that you know as as long as I have my parents, um, as long as they're still alive, I know I, I can always pick up the phone and, and they, they showed me what unconditional love was. Yeah. Mm, that's good, man. So you have this Kairos moment or so at 17 years old. Um, what, was it a God moment for you or was it just a dang, that really sucked kind of thing at, at the time? Yeah. You know, what was yeah. that like at the time? Well, being a somewhat dramatic 17 year old and not really, knowing myself or my tendencies or how I respond to certain things. Um, you know, I, I understood the seriousness of it, uh, to, to a decent extent. Um, but I think psychologically I was also, uh, in some denial about it. Um, and you know, the only thing within my control for those few months was trust in doctors, trust in man, trust in medicine, trust in a machine, or trust in God. And when it got boiled down at 17 that I realized that, um, you know, I'm not going to put my life in a man's hands or a machine's hands. Uh, or just medicine necessarily, you know, obviously all are great, but when it comes to life, um, and faith 
man, I, I really learned the importance of, of placing my whole faith in God. Mm. Would you say at that point uh, you were obviously, you know, progressive revelation, we know a lot more now that we knew back then, but like, would you say at that point you, well, maybe I should ask you this way. At what point in your life would you say that you were a genuine believer in Christ? Mm. Now we learn to follow him, right? And things get yeah. right a little bit later in life yeah. typically, but yeah. at what point would you say like, I believe that Jesus was Lord at this point in my life? Yeah. Um, intellectually, I believed that quite a bit earlier. I, I believed that, you know, there's, you've heard the stories, um, you know, I've, I grew up in church. I, I believed in Jesus since I could. Um, I've been a Christian I, since I was born. Since I've been a Christian since I was born. Uh, don't you know, <laughs> my, my heritage is my ticket into heaven. Obviously. So, um, <laughs> it's a joke people. Yeah, not really. So I think, um, there was definitely something that I had a Pauline moment where it was, look, you know, you can take my life. I don't even know who you is, but at the time I was like, they can take my life. Uh, or, and really I, ultimately it was God. I, I was, I was thinking it with God, God, you can, you can take me home and I'll be in a better place. This is my 17 year old logic, or you can leave me here and not out of guilt not out of persuasion to try to keep my life because I didn't even care about that at that point because life sucked at that point. Um, it was a legitimate, if not, if you want me to stay here, show me how to live for you. What does that look like? Because I want to do that because hmm. I realized there's nothing in this world that, that, uh, is really <laughs> worth placing your trust in. Yeah. So eventually, I don't know how quickly, but you get, you get back on the basketball court. Right. Shortly after that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, eventually, yeah. eventually. Yeah. And you play basketball your mm -hmm. senior year. What happens your senior year? Yeah. So uh, played JV. Um, and then, um, you know, I was uh, I got mono the next summer in between my. So that happened. If I remember correctly, the hospital happened in between my sophomore and junior year. And then in between my junior and senior year, I got mono. Hmm. and I got real weak again. I'd barely put on any weight the year before, really out of shape. Anyways, I go try out, and uh, I was told by my coach I had to be the best player there um, or else I wasn't making the team because I was the only senior that tried out. Our high schools had just split a year earlier, and so being the only guy, uh, I knew there were guys that had been playing on, on varsity since they were freshmen. And I'm like, okay, well, you just screwed me, but I'm still going to try out. So I did. I got cut. And then uh, probably, man, I think it was nine months later, I went back to that coach. And uh, this was after I graduated. I got picked up um, and recruited by two or three schools. And I made uh, a college basketball team. And I took that schedule into that coach about nine <laughs> months later and asked him to come watch a game. Nice. Yeah. Nice. little Michael Jordan moment there. A little bit. You know, so. A little bit. You know, I respected the guy at the time, and I think I still do. I just, uh, you know, 17, 18, I don't know. Um, he, he seemed like a good guy. It wasn't really like a uh, – it wasn't as much of a jab as it could seem, but it also kind of was, and so I think I was fine with that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he probably yeah, didn't yeah. give two riffs about me either, <laughs> so anyways. Yeah. 
Um, so did you, you went to Manhattan Christian College, played ball. Yeah. Uh, did you graduate there? Where'd you finish up your undergrad? Finished up undergrad at Liberty. I, oh, okay. I, I started at Manhattan Christian College uh, and then went to UMKC. I did a couple semesters of psychology and I realized, hey, um, I'm only in psychology because I want to help people. And I, I had uh, a professor who was an atheist and I asked him, I had, I had a meeting with him and I was like, hey, how can I be a Christian psychologist? He was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I enrolled at Liberty and uh, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I know I want to, I want to help people and I want to do it for the Lord. Um, and I had no idea what that looked like except for what I had modeled for me at the, at the church I had kind of grown up in. Yeah. So business. So I finished. Yeah. So Liberty. psychology turned into like, Oh, maybe ministry. And then I started realizing, hey, graduation's coming up in a couple of years. I should probably actually get into something that's going to make money. And so I got a list of the highest paying, you know, entry level jobs and business finance was like top five. And uh, so I graduated uh, in 2008 at uh, the beginning of the recession. Nice. Yeah, in Good finance. Timing. Good it timing. Was perfect, bro. <laughs> yeah, the Lord works all things. Nice, nice. And you went into a, a, I actually a did, business career, right? I, I actually did go into the uh, corporate world for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. It, it sucked. It didn't last long, though. Well, there were aspects of it that sucked uh, and uh, <laughs> for me. Um, but now it, it interests me again, um, this side of, of that age. So what, what was it that you didn't like? It was just kind of like the humdrum office life. I yeah. mean, when you're 20 something going into the business world, you're going to get the scrub job. Like that's just, I got it, man. That's just what you're going to do, was, right? I was a fund auditor. I was looking at, oh, it was, it was rough. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was rough, especially sure. the way I'm wired, but I didn't know myself then. Yeah. I didn't know myself. I, I, I knew I probably wasn't cut like and, and cast for that job. But I, I, I tried to force myself into it anyways. Yeah, you. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but we, you and I have talked in um, previous conversations about how like in your 20s, you're like discovering your gifting, discovering who you are and yourself in, in the mm -hmm. world, what your contribution is going to be to society. In your 30s, you're building that. You're starting to put a lot of energy. You get real tired in your 30s because you're, a lot of energy is going into you building that career. Mm -hmm. In your 40s, you're becoming a bit of an expert mm -hmm. in that career. In your 50s, you better be teaching the, the previous generation and bringing up other people because you're like at the top of your game uh, knowledge-wise and your 50s yep. experience-wise in your 50s. And in your 60s, you're, you're starting to transition and pass it on to the next generation. And uh, I think that that decade analysis um, has always been helpful for me to think through, especially when you're discipling people yep. younger than you, is to right. say, hey, in your 20s, you should be frustrated. <laughs> you, yeah, know? Yeah. you should be uh, you know, wondering what's going to happen next and where am I going to go next. You should be doing that. You should be discovering yep. where God has gifted you best and, uh, and what that really looks like in your life. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I always feel for guys straight out of college that are like, yeah, I just don't know what I want to do with my life. And I, I think I'll go in the business world. I'm like, all right, you know, that, that, that's a move. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it's, it's yeah. hard. It's hard. It is uh, knowing yourself and your tendencies and your nature, your nurture, how you were nurtured and raised, um, and just your skills, um, are, are really helpful to figure out hey, what, what kind of position should I be in? Yeah. 
Yeah. So you get a little bit frustrated in that mode in your yeah. uh, business career and you're going into, uh, you're starting to think like, man, what, what can I do to get out of this? Um, your grandfather had a big influence in your life. And so yeah. what was, what was next for you there? Yeah. So I knew I just needed some action and I wanted to lead. Um, I needed action because of the humdrum, as you say, uh, office life. Um, just, and it wasn't even a good office environment. It was, it was literally like office space, office environment, uh, terrible. And, uh, I kind of became that guy for like right before I left because I was like, you know what, I'm, I need something else. So I started looking into the Marine Corps and what did, what did leadership look like of people who actually wanted to be at their job and who actually cared and were as motivated around a call as I was. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, uh, why the ministry, uh, in that, in that time was kind of forgotten at a moment, uh, ministry proper that is, uh, I wanted to lead. I just didn't know if I was ever going to do that in the, in ministry. Um, and so I, I don't know, maybe I just didn't feel like I was, uh, worthy of doing that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I started looking into the Marine Corps and going to OCS and, and, um, I wanted to, so I spent a year and a half preparing myself for that process, scored very high on the, the PFT. I, I surprised myself about how much effort I put into, uh, getting ready to go. Um, but I decided last minute, uh, Hey, I can't, um, I, I, I decided within that, that I needed to go to seminary that, Hey, God, God's real call. Like this is a transitional moment in my life. I'm about to make an entire career change. Um, and it, yes, I've always wanted to be in the Marine Corps and I've always wanted to lead and, and be at the tip of the spear. Uh, but I, God recalled to me his calling, um, and, and helped me remember, um, just why, why you kept me here in a sense. Yeah. For the church, um, not necessarily for um, a government. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So what sort of um, what sort of motivating factors were kind of underlying this for you? So you go from uh, headed from high school into kind of this business career, um, post sports and everything. Mm -hmm. um, definitely feeling a, a, a bend towards leadership. I want to be at the cutting edge or the front edge of things. Um, you, you finish this, this college career at Liberty and you get into the business life, realize that ah, that's not exactly what I thought I was going to be. Um, and I, it's not real leadership. Marines are leaders. Let's try that. Let's work on that. Cause I think your grandfather was a Marine. Yep. I think you said so like that, that was a reflection of that for you. Um, and, and now you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I remember God's call on my life. It's, it's, it's ministry leadership is where I need to be called. Mm -hmm. So what in that story, like what were some of the things that you would say were kind of underlying, um, motivations, underlying factors that were kind of informing some of your, mm. um, your decisions and just the, the way you were trying to live your life. Man, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it back to self-awareness again. I knew the gifts that God had given me and I, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to necessarily utilize those in the way that I had seen model. I had never seen my gifts modeled in, uh, leading, 
Marines or the, in the military context, I have seen my gifts in a church. Mm. That's where I had it modeled for me. Mm. And um, we'll talk about that. What what was yeah. the church? We didn't talk a lot about your kind of church upbringing. No, and that was mass. I know that's that's kind of interwoven into your story. So go yeah. back a little bit. Um, yeah. Sort of Catholic influence at the beginning, and yep. then and then how did it go from there? Um. So my parents taught at a Catholic school uh, in the in the Lake of the Ozarks, um, and there were some issues there. Um, and so we moved up to Kansas City, uh, essentially because of the priest. Um, and then, you know, my parents didn't leave the Catholic Church at that time, but a couple of years later we did, and we weren't going to church for probably a year or so. And then all of a sudden my parents were like, hey, we're going to go try out this new church. It was the second week they had opened their doors. They were meeting in a school auditorium. And it was just this amazing preacher, evangelist, you know, speaker, um, very, very uh, just dynamic and great teacher. And so we essentially joined almost, uh, you know, within a month. And then I uh, grew up in that church. About how old were you when that? I was in fifth grade, sixth grade. Okay. Club five and six was the nice. was the Sunday school I went to, and then it was the youth ministry after that. So I grew up in that youth ministry. The reason why, and that was the same youth ministry that I went down to Florida with. Um, just great, great youth pastor. Um, loved, loved the pastor, the senior pastor. Um, loved the whole family. Loved everything about it. There was such deep community. Was the name of the youth ministry something that had to do with fire or sparks or... No, it was The ignition. Rock Youth oh, okay. Ministry. Okay, all right. So yeah. that's the other direction. Yep. Yeah, yep. okay. So, um, yeah, the church was a church plant when we when we got there, and then within five years, it was a huge church. Within 10, it was the one of the biggest mega churches in South Kansas City, um, and... You know, my parents uh, were massive influences in the youth ministry, and they just wanted to serve and, and love teenagers and hmm. um, lead them as well. And I think it was also a way that they could still be in our lives and, uh, you know, yeah. take care of us and whatnot. So. so you got a real close connection all throughout your story that you just explained. You're, you're, um, you're knit to the church, yeah. to the local church throughout this whole time. Yep. So that was very formative. Very. Uh-huh. I mean, that, they were family in yeah. a sense. And and so one thing um, that, that kind of, uh, one thing that was very transforming was when I, my first semester of high school, I'm sorry, seminary, uh, this was right around 2010, um, I found out, I get a call, hey, the church shut their doors. Um, and it felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me. Wow. I'm like, well, okay, so what's home? And in a sense, it was like, I don't even know where home is anymore in a way. Like I was that ingrained. Uh, I also had my friends outside of the church that I was two-faced with in a sense, right? So there were seasons where I was, you know, I wasn't just this good kid that I was always in church. I, I had my Sure. I had my different crews that I had segregated uh, strategically uh, <laughs> for my purposes, but um, yeah, man, I, I found out the you know there was some misuse of money, and uh, the people that I really looked up to, some of them, it, it made it difficult to do that after that, um, and and there was a lot of questions, and and, and 
no conversations really uh, to be had afterwards. I was halfway across the country. I was already busy doing my own thing, trying to figure out my future. Um, and so, yeah, that was very, very, um, it was it was an interesting season filled with confusion and abandonment and uh, a little bit of fear like if it, that could happen to me too you know like if i'm not careful i've already had my run-ins with worst case scenarios and so um i just wonder psychologically emotionally like i'm sure it had a greater impact than i realized hmm. Hmm. so you head off to seminary. This is the point where you say that, like, I really feel like God's beginning to clarify His call in my life. I kind of mm-hmm. know who I'm, in, who I am, who I'm, what I'm gifted for. That looks like it's involved in the church. What exactly, what exactly was that call? Like, and I don't mean, um, you know, some sort of audible, you know, like, you know, face to face experience with God, but like, mm-hmm. like, was there a life verse? Was there something specific that I that you were like, man, this is what God's really calling mm-hmm. me to, and I know it. Well, the first time that I really had a message that I understood and felt some kind of calling was, uh, I had just bought in Nellyville of the CD at Best Buy, and then we went to church camp, and I threw Nellyville into the lake oh. because I was like giving all to right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and oh, I'm like, dang it, common practice back in those dang, days, right? Yeah, <laughs> sacrifice, burn them, or whatever, do something. Yep. So, uh, sorry, Nelly. Um, you know, if you put a CD in the microwave, it like explodes and uh, does oh, yeah. this really cool electrical thing. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Try that at next, home. Next time kids. you want to destroy a, a CD, try that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. I'll just, I'll, I'll destroy my microwave along with it. I, you know. ah, it the, the dorm one was fine when I got done with it. <laughs> Jeez, you put your forks in there too, didn't you? Uh, no, I didn't do that. Okay. I'm not that dumb. <laughs> I destroyed. I destroyed my parents' microwave in the apartment that we lived in for a couple of years uh, because I did that. And uh, I didn't know. I didn't know. I was a dumb teenager. Uh, so what was the question? Um, God's call. Just the, uh, I, I realized. What was clear about it? I realized uh, early on that there was this thing. I didn't know what it was called, but it was conviction. Um, some A lot of it was guilt. Um at the end of the message for the teenagers uh, and sometimes for the adults, most of the time for the adults too, it seemed like Jesus was left on the cross in some ways. Don't get me wrong. Like the teachers, the preachers, man, they, they, they were great teachers and preachers, but more than not, uh, the sermons were more about me and my sin as opposed to Jesus and his forgiveness and grace and call right now. We also had calls to ministry. It was a very, uh, it, it took up one night of the four nights of, you know, youth camp. And then there was other things throughout the year. And so it was, it, all that was very in front of me. And then I, I did classes and courses for teaching and preaching and leading Bible studies and whatnot. Like I was on staff at that church, uh, for a few years in college. And so I had already done a stint in ministry myself by the time I, I, uh, graduated college. I had my own ministry, uh, traveling around doing itinerant preaching. Um, I was really fascinated by that. I learned so much. I became a student of the word from the pastors that I had um, teaching me. But it wasn't until I, I learned in my first semester at seminary just the importance on not just the cross, but the resurrection. 
and uh, the new life that we can have on the other side of our, our death um, and sin. And we don't have to always recall our sin and be slaves to it. Uh, there, we can walk in grace. Yeah, so what were some of those uh, sermons like in your um, itinerant preaching? Like, what was that? What was the prevailing message, mm. would you say, you would summarize? Mm. What was your MPS, the <laughs> main point of the sermon? Yeah, the people and me. Or, you know, like, I, I definitely... I didn't know what a Christ-centered message was. Sure. I didn't know what a gospel-centered message was. I just preached uh, forgiveness of sin, mostly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was curious. Um, yeah. Yeah, some... Love and a call. You know, I still had that, like, athletic, like, motivation, like... Sure. You know, but a lot of it was in our own power through Jesus, through Christ. Like, you can accomplish this yeah. or you can overcome... You and Jesus. You and yeah. Jesus. Yeah, that Jesus was a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. Accidentally, for sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I... I I wasn't doing that to poke or prod or make fun. I, I really, because that's what we, no, like our I, younger years, that's what we do, right? We, we just do what we know. And uh, yeah, my first, I can remember first, my first couple of sermons were just dreadful. True story. Bro. You know, true and story. Uh, I still got them. I still got them. Don't ask for them. Yeah, no, uh, I won't. Yeah, Don't worry. Uh, they'll be thrown in some lake someday. <laughs> <laughs> the same lake as Nellyville. Yeah, yeah. No, I could go... Uh, Rest in peace at the bottom of the lake. <laughs> nice. Um, is there is there a verse uh, for you, like a, a verse From or a passage Nellyville? of scripture? <laughs> no. <laughs> S-T-L-M-O-3-1-4. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yep. Uh, but is there a life verse um, or a passage of some sort for you that's like, this is kind of what I, I hang my hat on, or this is... Um, this is what God's called me to do, or this is just my heart. This is uh, where I align with the scriptures. Uh, yeah. So there's there's two that come to mind, and they're really from the hospital uh, from that season. The first one is you know Paul's passage: um, "You can kill me, uh, but you're just going to send me somewhere else, or uh, you can keep me alive, and I'm going to keep doing the work." Mm. And so either way. Ha! God wins. <laughs> yeah. So second one is Jeremiah 29, 11, which is hilarious because that's the one we always joke on, right? <laughs> but that was the verse my mom thought and read over uh, and kind of spoke over me um, for hope in the mm. hospital. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know what proof texting was at the time. Uh, however, I did claim that verse uh, in a lot of ways. Like, But that didn't mean like God has this perfect you know, dream life for me, prepared for me. Like I was not living the dream. I knew this is not some self-help like Bible verse. Like I really knew God has a plan for me. God has, and, and I, you know, what, whatever that looks like, it doesn't have to be my plan. And that was the thing. Like God is in control. Yeah. That's how I interpreted, uh, you know, he's, he's got a plan for you not to harm you, yeah. but to give you hope in a future. Yeah. And if that future is with him, then guess what? Even better. Yeah. So, so with coupling this whole conversation of God's calling on your life to now, like, this is more of like a present reflection on what God was calling you to do. Do you know, like, the 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 problem that God has called you to solve or tackle mm. in, the, in the kingdom? Like, what is it that? He has uniquely gifted you or wired you to go after and 
and fix as it were, because mm. that's what we do in a broken world. We try to mm. try to mend things until yeah. he makes all things new. Yeah. Right? Mend the nets. Right. Yeah. So wh- wh- where's the tear in the net? Yeah. Um, I think where God has called me is just equipping people to get them on the mission field, whether that's abroad or across the street and learning ultimately how to make disciples. But beyond that, that's within leadership. So I I really sense in the last six years, uh, God's transitioned me from just teaching people how to walk alongside somebody in relationship, um, to fight for others' highest possible good alongside your own. Uh, And and so what does doing life with someone look like um, in a different degree? But at the same time, I think the transition has gotten more into the last few years. What does it look like to teach leaders to teach others how to do that? Yeah. Um, so equipping the the saints to equip the saints. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So around um, around the time you went to seminary, uh, shortly after that, there's this uh, this call from Dr. George Robinson to uh, go with him on a trip to Varanasi or Varanasi, Varanasi. Uh, India. And it's the heart of, it's like the Hindu Mecca, yeah. right? which would be very offensive for them to hear. But um, it's, it's essentially that it's the place where all the Hindus go once a year pilgrimage. Um, and, uh, yeah. and you were invited to be a part of that team and that trip. And so was I. And uh, that's really where we connected and where we met. So, mm-hmm. um, what what drew you to that trip or that that um, like India specifically? Uh, was there something that kind of drew you into that? Mm. Before that, I hadn't been really anywhere. We didn't travel a ton. We took some trips for sure. We did road trips from Kansas City to California and back one summer. That was crazy. Uh, that was awesome, but. Um, that one was I need to I need to broaden my perspective and I need to figure out what what this whole you know great commission thing is really about and does it mean overseas only does it mean like I had, I had no idea I just knew that that those few years were years that I got to really try and fail in a safe space. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, and I've always been one for adventure. So, I'm India, like that kind of like bring it on. Let's it, go. It felt like the, to me, it felt like the, um, one of the hardest places yeah. that you could go. Yeah. And it was like, yes, I want to go there. It was the first place for you too, right? Yeah. To yeah. Go abroad. Well, I've gone, I'd been to Mexico. Oh, same. Um, yeah. I but think so it, you know, in Mexico City and in the hills of Mexico. So I had a little bit uh, of experience had, about five, six years prior. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't matter. Like that, Mexico, is nothing compared to going to the heart of India yeah. um, in those spaces. Like whatever yeah. Mexico has, just multiply that times at least 10. Yep. And that's what's going on in India. Yeah, it's not you know? that it might be worse necessarily. No, no, no. But yeah. by scale. By scale, yeah. Oh my exactly. gosh, it's so much more predominant. The yeah. poverty is so much more predominant over there. The so people, it was, in general, yeah. the people are so, well, there's so, much, so many more people everywhere. It yeah. Like. We're very familiar with the Mexican culture yeah. here. And so right. we didn't know anything. Right. I mean, we saw lepers lined up, hundreds yeah. of lepers lined up on the way to the Ganges. Yeah. Um, a couple nights begging. And it's just like, this is, I only, I, I didn't know lepers were a thing still. Like, I'm, 
yeah. how old am I? And I'm realizing <laughs> so much and just so true. Yeah, the 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 bubbles were just continuing to pop. Yeah. Uh, as as I started to really open my eyes to the, what what the rest of the world had to offer. Yeah. Uh, the, and just how how blessed beyond measure that we were. Yeah. And the the blatant idolatry. Yeah. Was something that shook me. Yeah. Like like they're literally going down to worship this river, mm-hmm. Mother Ganga. Mm-hmm. Um and the RT festival, the fire festival. Yeah, that was um, awesome. We got to go and share the gospel while they're all worshiping their Hindu gods. We're talking to them about Jesus, which today would not happen. We did like, get threatened on that trip a little bit. We did, so. and we had to get shut down for a couple of days, yeah. and we did a, a training inside the hotel. Yeah. Um, but today, it's even worse. Like, we would have been yeah. thrown away in jail at least for some time and uh, with the non-conversion laws they have there now. Mm-hmm. So it's just... Um, that was only ten years ago, you know. Yeah. So, was that before the BJP? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So, so when Modi came in, and I guess fourteen or so. Um, yeah, that's, that's right. when everything started to change. Mm. Um, so that was that was a, a different a different India back in those days. Yeah, for sure. Um, and maybe maybe a little bit different John back in those days. Hundred percent. As I recall, uh, we were riding in a van. Um, not down by the river, once again, but on the streets of New Delhi, where uh, we had this like uh, this limo van, uh, which had like the black lights inside, and it was almost like a party oh, we, bus. We were in a semi-party bus. Yeah, because there yeah, were 12 yeah. of us, so we had to rent a large vehicle. 12 dudes yeah. with our professor. With our professor. G. Yep. And uh, we're riding back from having some great food at the Hard Rock Cafe, a bison burger. We finally got um, oh. some of some beef in our system. Yeah, that was like 10 days. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. So we're riding back, and um, my my friend John just starts bussing out some freestyle. We had a beat going, Well, and then... Somebody else was talking about how they could freestyle, and yeah. they were trash. Yeah, they, were total, they were totally They were bad. <laughs> I don't even remember who it was. Yeah, I don't either. I won't call them out. Uh, but it was just like, come on, bro. It may have been Matt Bishop, actually. Don't say that. <laughs> The love goat. No, he love was the that. goat. He was though, the goat. Because yeah. he ate everything. I love him. Yeah, and then got sick. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. you reap what you sow. Indeed. Bro. Indeed. Yeah. So, yeah, a little freestyling on the bus. That was when I was like, that's my dude. <laughs> <laughs> Things changed so at gross. that point. <laughs> <laughs> Things changed at that point. I was like, that's my dude. Well, so I, one of my best friends through high school and college was um, this guy, Matt. And uh, Matt, bro, for some reason, weird reason, you hear this, hit me up, dude. So um, back in KC, we would ride around in my tempo and or the truck. <laughs> did you have a system and, in that tempo? Please tell me you did. Please uh, tell me you had, I had some 12s four, or something. No, 112. Uh, awesome. There was right. in my truck I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. That was a cool thing. You just had to have that kids. back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Right? If you didn't. If you did not have somewhat of a system and you had a baby blue tempo, yeah, then you're like you're yeah. like <laughs> right, you're ostracized, right? For good, right? right? But at least you had something. I right? did. Okay, I did. good for you. I had some bump, okay. and uh, so I'm. Yeah, we would drive around and we would listen to freestyle uh, tapes or CDs, and we would or instrumentals, and we would just freestyle all night. And this kid, Matt, bro, he could. He could rap and he could freestyle like crazy. And um, so he inspired me, man. And I loved music. You know, my dad grew up uh, loving music and just had a knack for it. So I would start to freestyle. And just like for three years, we freestyled. 
And uh, then sometimes it comes out every now and then. But somebody else was freestyling. There was a beat. There were 12 of us guys. There was good energy. It was towards the end of the trip. And for some reason, I just pulled out this really good freestyle on that uh, at, on that specific occasion. It yeah. didn't really happen much be, beyond that one. Do you remember it by any chance? I'm not no, asking no, no, no. I just remember I had a great finish line, finishing line. And uh, it was like one of those finish him. Yeah, and I did, and everybody just went berserk. And that was probably one of the coolest, like, yeah. non-cool moments that yeah. I could still be made fun of for. So probably. <laughs> yeah. So um, we are on our way back from this trip. You, me, and another guy are on the plane. We're drawing pictures. We're like four fieldsing out our life yes. and envisioning what could be next mm-hmm. um, for the gospel, for the church. Yeah. And I think we created three circles on that trip. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And then Scroggins took it from us. So I know. So, we got to uh, figure that one out. <laughs> um, but man, we just we had a great time just starting to really brainstorm and connect over those kind of things. Um, you know, while, while, I had I was almost done with seminary. You're kind of in the beginning part of mm-hmm. seminary at the time, and um, we just developed a, a unique, closely knitted passion for mission, for church planning, for disciple making. Uh, I think that trip really kind of galvanized that for both of us Big time. in our lives. Um, so, so talk about um, what, kind of what was what was next for you. Um, you got married shortly after, mm-hmm. uh, after that as well, after a couple of years, um, uh, Lauren stepped into your life. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you guys are contemplating kind of what's next in, in, in ministry and life together mm-hmm. now. So what did that talk about the next uh, few years? Then. Yeah. So right around that time, it was right after India, I, I had been youth pastoring and very similar to your story in seminary classes during the day going back home, teaching at night, uh, and teaching students, right? So a youth pastor, and then our pastor at that church, whom I was really close with. I've shared briefly in a previous podcast that um, something else that wasn't even a big deal, but just kind of like was a little manipulative about it and, and secretive, and so the people didn't like that. He didn't like the people didn't like it, and so he just up and left out of nowhere, and so that left me there young seminary student trying to figure out this hundred year old church, um, in Durham. And they asked me to enter him. And so that kind of all blew up. They didn't want to follow Jesus or, you know, study the Bible. And they just wanted to do what they've always done, uh, which was their traditions. And, um, and so, you know, that really, after my first pastor that I grew up with, had uh, kind of been disqualified, if you will, and and I lost a lot of trust and respect. The second guy that I'd really grown to appreciate and be mentored under and discipled by, same thing happened. Uh, and that church kind of crumbled as well. Um, like, I, I ran from ministry. I ran from life. I was, I was dealing with a lot of stuff at home as well in that season. Um, with with a previous relationship, uh, a lot of anxiety, depression at the, in, in the home. Um, and so not that it was the right move or the wise move, uh, but I did. I, I responded by my running. I felt trapped and um, I, I just turned really selfish and ran. And um, so there was a season where you and I didn't speak some. Uh, you were one of the only guys to really reach out in that season as I just went dark. I just ghosted everybody before ghosting became a term i was i was a pro at it 
And, um, you know, I think that I think there's a lot of abandonment in my history that informs my own tendencies towards abandonment. Mm. And so I got to constantly fight that. Um, and so in that season, I met Lauren. I told her, hey, I'm you don't want to we're not dating. You don't want to date. We're good friends. We were working together. Um, I had quit seminary um, at this point. And uh, lo and behold, we started dating and it was just like super simple and uh, it was it was the, you know, right fit. And so um, just grew to love her. And um, yeah, so we got married in 2015 and in just south of Southern Pines, um, Southeastern's in Raleigh. So um, that's where we lived for a couple more years until you and I. Uh, had gotten back in touch and we had stayed in touch for probably like a year, year and a half, something like that uh, up until the point where we moved up here. Yeah. So let's talk about that because, um, you know, we started talking again a lot about, um, you know, just, uh, I think the first several chats after we got back to talking again, um, were really, uh, helpful for me. Because you were at the time one of the few people that was asking me questions like, "How's your heart?" Hmm. Um, and and you genuinely were asking the question. It wasn't just a um, a robotic kind of thing, you know. And uh, and I really I needed that at that point in my life, and I and I really appreciated that. Um, and so we started talking about you know uh, different ideas of what's what's next in ministry and life and all these things uh found out your your wife had just uh, finished an education degree that mm-hmm. um it, she she just smashed like she killed it rock did star. It awesome at it and i was like huh well we're looking for a head of school at our little academy up here um what would you guys think about moving to Virginia and, um, and taking on that role. And then essentially you and I were like, we'll figure out what you're going to do eventually, but let's get her in that role mm-hmm. kind of solidified. Uh, and we knew that you and I could easily work together on yeah. something, whatever yeah. that would end up being. Yeah. Um, and you did it, you on it, you moved up here and, and you left everything behind. And, uh, so, so talk about that, man. Like what were the, what were some of the pain points and struggles of that? Mm. But, but then what ultimately is the, the victory of that, um, that you've seen the Lord do over these last, um, good, yeah, five, plus six, six years, yeah, six years now. Yeah. Um, hmm. I would say trying to figure out, um, again, just more self-awareness in a new place, in a new season of life. Uh, what does it look like transitioning back into ministry after having gone back into the corporate world? So here's kind of the history. Uh, ministry, corporate world. Ministry, corporate world. Now back into ministry. Mm. What does this look like? So I've always kind of had like one foot in, one foot out, one or mm. uh, all in and then all out, right, yeah. is more like it. And so I didn't want to do that. I, I, I desire consistency and intentionality in my life. And, you know, I, I knew that uh, whatever, whatever this looks like, whatever the marriage is, whatever um, the relationship is, I knew that we could, we could work together because we have the same heart. We have the same end vision, end goal, which is to love people love God and make disciples. And so everything else is going to be, um, you know, just we'll figure it out. We can do that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, first season of that, you're teaching at the school. Yeah, um, that was rough. Under your wife's... Oh, that exposed <laughs> that exposed a lot of tendencies in my life that I've learned from yeah. big time. Yeah, yeah. So sorry, students. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take credit for putting you under that gun. Just so, you know, I wanted you to grow. That's all, you know? Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> I got words for you off the mic later, but uh, no, it did. It grew me a lot, and I had already yeah. spent a, a couple of years in the classroom before mm-hmm. that. And so, it, it, you know, my mother retired thirty six years from education. My wife was winning awards for education, and then you know, like, so education again, also something in my blood. Um, I taught through youth ministry, so I knew students. Um, I, I had done a lot of coaching. Yeah. Uh, basketball, baseball. So it was fun, but good night. It was really difficult for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so after that first year, <laughs> very obvious the transition needed to be made mm-hmm. into uh, a more of a full-time ministry role. Yeah. You were doing some small group stuff with us and different things, yeah. but it was hard to do that and teach. So, right. So you step into... And have, and have Lauren be <laughs> my boss. <laughs> right. Uh, right. I was the boss at home. She was the boss during the day, but then it was just like, you know, parents are complaining to her about me or, you know, whatever right. it is. Right. It's like, wow, that's got to be real fun for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you end up uh, the next year. Now you're full time with the church, kind of doing what we set out to do um, and uh, working with small groups, working with developing missions strategy and mm-hmm. uh, these kind of things. Um, was that was that a moment for you when like you were able to go back into like full time ministry was that something that was like a really big deal for you or was that something that kind of was a little bit of a PTSD thing mm. for you um what what did that what did that mm. I want to know more about what did that feel like you know yeah great question um i think i think for the since seminary i've been deconstructing not like my theology but my ecclesiology in some way and trying to figure out how, like, how does God intend for us to be the church and do church? And so I've constantly been asking that question. Uh, I love that question. Uh, but I've gotten to the point where it's really like, I've gotten to a conviction of simplicity prevails, uh, in a lot of things. And so, uh, I see it in Jesus. I see it in his strategy. I see it in, Loving people is the simplest thing we can do um, that, you know, in in addition to preaching the gospel uh, and and living it out. So um, how did I feel? I felt um, no, not not much PTSD. I felt just a warm welcome. You know, the the people here are so fantastic and loving and and for you that it was just it felt like riding a bicycle again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So go through a couple of years of working on church staff again. Um, you and I got to lock arms for a bit there together. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but it seems now looking back, it seems like that season was very fast um, yeah. because it wasn't long before we start the multiply project and mm-hmm. then the multiply organization. And it was more of like, okay, that's, this is really what John is kind of geared for and equipped for. Um, you and I both, agreed to that um and and could see that it was very mm-hmm. very clear um but why why mm-hmm. was that so clear like why was that mm-hmm. something that uh that you gravitated towards you know working with 
Well, I'll shut up. Why did why? <laughs> working with what or who? Well, I was saying like working with churches and leaders and people and yeah. rather than like I mean obviously you go to a local church but but now you're more working for this different kind of entity that's not necessarily a local church it's there to help local churches mm, yeah right so how does that uh how did that work out for mm. you or why did you gravitate towards that mm. yeah um i was challenged a few years back by a mentor who said hey if you were only able to disciple three more people for the, for the rest of your life would you be okay with that or do you need more um and why if you do and so it's, it's kind of a check on your heart, on your pride, on your um, humility and skills. Um, so it's like, hey, I, I'm fine with that. And there's also a lot of pressure uh, in ministry uh, today that I just don't think is necessary. Um, there's, there's a lot of expectations that, you know, we always joke about the, well, we, we've never done it that way before. Well, this is how we've always done it, you know? And so, um, I, I think in some senses I'm just geared as a pioneer, as a creative, as a connector. I love new spaces. I love, uh, new relationships. You know, I can have hundreds of relationships kind of spinning at one time. Um, but if you ask me to go and, uh, do something administratively for eight hours like like you I could do it but I'm gonna be horribly drained um, I've just got different abilities and so I think that's a lot of it too um, is again tip of the spear give me the hard task um, and let's let's wait and see what God does in that yeah there's there's fun there's excitement um, there's there's joy there, and you also don't know what it's going to bring. But all, at the tip of the spear in the ministry, you get to meet a lot of new people as as a as a connector, as a, an evangelist. You know, just I love people, yeah. and um, I love I love going deep, but I also love expanding my networks too. Mm-hmm. So, so um, in your role and it not being directly tied to any one particular church for multiply, cause you are once again tied to a particular church, but for your multiply role, um, it can create a little bit of intrigue or mystery. Like, um, what, what, what does John do exactly? Mm. Um, so I'm gonna give you a chance to answer that question. Okay. What does John do yeah. exactly? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just well, talking like day to day. Like what does, what does your day look mm-hmm. like? Um, yeah. What is, what is that? What is that about? Yeah. Man? Yeah. So I've got three guys that I'm running alongside, one in Mexico, one in Rwanda, one in India. And Danny uh, from India, Eduardo from Mexico, and Bonnie from Rwanda is uh, a newer relationship that we're really excited to be a part of. And so keeping in touch with them, encouraging them, um, getting getting, um, stories from them, and uh, getting, get, you know, seeing how they're practicing the tools. A lot of what I'm doing is just passing on what has been passed on to me. And so I'm not teaching them anything new necessarily, but we're just going through the word together and we're studying it. And then they're taking that and they're going and replicating it with their people. And there's a lot of neat stories of, of the ministry that's been going on. Um, and so beyond that, it's gathering with people, meeting with people, 
and helping TGC, uh, the Grace Collective, and their elders. I'm working with them now in this season. Um, there was a season where uh, Lauren and I planted a church in our home, and we were doing a lot of discipleship and evangelism um, in our neighborhood. Uh, and now uh, our time is being spent equipping the saints at TGC. So that's that is a fairly last several months is mm-hmm. a fairly new uh, role for you. Mm-hmm. That's it's I mean it's sort of outside your role of multiply, but it's also kind of all collide similar to my role at the yeah. church, right? Yeah. Um, so how's that been uh, being more in? It's not a, it's still not a traditional church environment, but it's definitely back in uh, a more. Um, a church that's been around for a couple of years now, and uh, they're trying to establish themselves. Um, and now you're the one that's trying to help them establish themselves. Um, how's that transition been for you over the last couple months? Yeah, I mean, it's been great. Um, the guys, the other elders, you know, they've welcomed me. Um, they're they're willing to listen uh, to what I have to say um, if if I got something. And uh, they're just super, super humble guys who, who care about others as much as they care about themselves. And, um, you know, we care for the people and we care for our community and we want to figure out what's what's the best way uh, to reproduce what we got here. Yeah, hmm. that's good. It's good to hear. I'm excited about that. Uh, so before we look into the future a little bit with you, I want to pause and uh, ask you a very, very important question. Oh, bring it. Would you rather be able to see 10 minutes into the future mm-hmm. or 100 years into the future? Hmm. Would you rather be able to look 10 minutes into the future or 100 years into the future? This is a very important hmm. question. Okay, so if it's if it's ten minutes, you can potentially save the world. <laughs> if it's a hundred years, um, you what 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 good can you affect? I don't know. You've got uh, you only got ten minutes to affect change, though. If you only see ten minutes into the world, and it might be that that much. If you got a hundred years, huh? Hmm. I'm gonna go a hundred years. I don't think it would be healthy for me to see ten minutes. Be able to say, like, is this something you get to do often? Like, do you <laughs> no, get it's to, like, it's or like, is it just like one time? Like, you get like, thirty you, seconds to look ten minutes into the future. No, no, it's like you have you're living your life, um, whereas. Like Jesus lived his life. He knew all of the future, past, present, and future. Uh, and you get to live your life and always know what's going to happen 10 minutes mm-hmm. from now and always know what's going to happen or always know what's going to happen, what's going to be happening or happened 100 years mm. from now. Mm. What are I, the benefits? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be... I feel like there's a lot of people out there that are like, oh, if he says 10 minutes you know, into the future, that's really selfish. <laughs> but if you see a hundred years, it's like, you know, some people might equate like Elon Musk, like he has that, that vision that mm-hmm. like, he's not worried about uh, global hunger, right? He's worried about the future of a, hey, what's next. He's not trying to like solve today's, pro- problem. today's yeah. problem. He's trying to solve tomorrow's problem. Right. So, um, 
yeah, I respect that in a way, but at the same time, it's like, eh, maybe the money, billions of dollars are better spent now. And so anyways, well, in a hundred years from now, you would, you would know who the next Elon Musk is going to be. And right. you could invest early in their companies. Oh, son of a gun. Back to the future kind mm. of thing. You know? Uh, no, 10 minutes. I'm going selfish. I want to, I, I, and here's why it's all fear motivated. Uh, I, I have made so many stupid decisions in my <laughs> life <laughs> that if I could not make any more stupid decisions yeah, and like, I know, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to stub my toe in 10 minutes. Uh, like bro, that would definitely, <laughs> and I'm not talking, you know, just like something stupid like that. I'm, there's been plenty of moments where I've, yeah, it would help my, it would help my today, uh, a lot more. And what is tomorrow if not a bunch of today's added up? Yeah. So how's my wife going to respond if I'm 10 minutes late? So she's going to be upset. I need to bring flowers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. Right. Is that what you're aiming for? for right. Me? Okay. Right. I got you. I right. got you. All right. Well, we're going to continue to look into the future in our prospective perspective, uh, mm-hmm. here. And, um, the next 10 to 15 years for you, um, I'm going to give you that range to work in, all right? The next 10 to 15 years, um, and I want to know just your perspective on what does the church look like in America in the next 10 to 15 years? Yeah, I think it's going to um, look different. I'm not sure how different. Um, I think it already looks a lot different today than it did five years ago. And so it's really interesting. 10 to 15 years from now, what are going to be the politics that dictate what, what freedoms or liberties the church has or the people have? I don't know. Uh, I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but at the same time, I'm trying to be a realist in, in recognizing that the church is, um, um, not helping itself in a lot of ways right now, um, in, in the public eye. Um, a lot of people are deconstructing without reconstructing anything because they don't, there's a lack of trust in the church and more than ever in our lifetime, people's walls of self-preservation have gone up even higher and, um, and stronger. And so like in, in order to get past those walls, we have to develop trust uh, amongst our communities and say, hey, we are proving to you that we are for you as much as we are for ourselves. And it's only when we're able to prove that um, with our hands and feet uh, and not just with our mouths, um, it's only when a whole church grabs on to the vision of the Great Commission and, and what could come, uh, what is to come, um, that, and, and not just leave it up for the pastor to do. Uh, the, if we do that in 10, 15 years, we look on the positive side. Um, I think we're going to see a more decentralized church with a lot more active participants uh, actually engaged uh, rather than just participating passively. Yeah, that's good. It does not come as a surprise to me that your response to that 10 to 15 year lookout is 
directly related and correlated to people. Mm. <laughs> you know, you you are so people oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I it, I'll go back to the whole um, Dr. Carson thing. Mm. Like it blew me away that you would want to hang out with an old blind guy. Oh, let's do it. And and like and that was like a joy of yours. Um, I I never really understood that. Mm. And but now that I know you, I know your heart. I know that that's that that is what it's about for you. It's I, about the people. I know me. I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm I don't so I learn. I love to learn from people and and who better than those who have gone before us and yeah. and and lived three lifetimes of yeah. ours. Yeah. And to learn from them. So yeah, growing up listening to my grandparents tell me store, stories about World War II or Korea. Mm-hmm. Um good night. Like yeah. that was that was fascinating to me. And I just from a very young age, my brother always thought it was weird that I wanted to talk to the grandparents. <laughs> but the second we got there, man, if we if there wasn't a pool or a lake, I was finding grandpa or grandma and I was bending their ear about stuff that happened 40 years ago. You know, my, hmm. one of my grandfathers was good friends with Harry Truman. Hmm. And so he told me a lot of stories about hiking through Europe during the war in the winters. And then he would talk about Truman and then the bomb and then how people hated Truman. And he took that really personally. It was just really fascinating. And I know, you know, I was always entertained in, in a way uh, yeah. by those who had gone before us. Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. So your vision for the future just includes a whole lot about people starting to wrap their minds around their and their their lives around their calling mm-hmm. as disciples of Christ. That's and the helping goal. Get them there. That's yeah. it. That's yeah. it. And it's it's a lot it's a lot simpler and a lot tougher than we may think. Yeah, it is. True. So in that case then what does what is that what is that going to take in the next one to three years? Mm. What is what and what is your role in the next mm-hmm. one to three years to try to get to that end goal of helping the church understand their identity in Christ and their calling mm-hmm. as disciple makers mm-hmm. of Christ a little bit better. One to three years, real practical, concrete. What's that look like for you? Well, the process is is in healthy things, healthy organisms multiply, right? So we need to get to health. And so what does health look like? I think we, we've defined health um, as loving God, loving others and and then as a result of that we are making disciples and so what does it look like to to be trending towards health what does it look like to then multiply that health um and honestly like i said it's it's simpler than we might think because it is just instead of always uh worrying about self and 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 self-preservation or provision um what does it look like to be about other people as well uh, to the degree that I'm for myself? And that's where the difficult part comes in. That's really simple to do, um, but it's difficult because some people don't want to let you in past the first circle. Other people are, are you know, you might not really want to go much deeper with, but, you know, they're welcoming it. And so you just, hey, okay. Um, what does it look like for me to sacrifice my time, my energy, um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm grabbing a beer with a buddy from down the street at four today. And then after that, I've got a call with one of the elders at eight tonight, um, to talk through some stuff and all things that don't, you know, are okay. The beer is going to be great, but you know, he's, he's a good buddy that we've, um, actually married him and his wife last year. And so, um, you know, there, there's, 
there's things where you're you're giving yourself away and i think the important thing over the next three years is continuing to figure out how can i sustain that over the long term what does that look like because the last five to six years has been a pretty good sprint for both my wife and I. Mm -hmm. And since she's transitioned out of her role as head of school, you know, she's, she's um, working part-time, getting back, you know, nursing some wounds from that season of just going hard and hustling every day. Um, and so what does is, what is longevity look like? We're at a place where we're not trying to establish ourselves anymore. We're at a place where we're trying to pr uh, reproduce ourselves. Mm. And, um, and we want to reproduce health. And, and I want to I continue trending to get 100% healthy. Yeah. Man, that's so good. From a Catholic upbringing to just this, um, this love for uh, being a part of the, the local church and uh, being a leader and on the court, off the court, uh, and, um, and even at a very young age, being involved in, in ministry to various bouts of um, rebellion uh, to God just ripping you back into his arms and saying, no, 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 you're not, you're not going that way. You're coming with me mm -hmm. um, to, to, uh, you know, to seminary and missions and just loving the call of God on your life. Um, man, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for your, um, your saying yes to Jesus um, and all these things. Um, and even when you said, I don't know, uh, at least you were honest about it and uh, you were willing to let the Lord uh, kind of do his work over time. And uh, so, man, I'm grateful to call you a friend and um, to be along this journey with you, man. This has been, been good. I've learned some things today, so it's, it's been good. Amen. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, bro. Same. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I want to just point people as we've been doing to our resource page, multiplythechurch.com slash resources. Um, just go on the page. <laughs> There's so many things there to look up. If you're a, a brand new disciple of Jesus, go there to the disciple um, uh, toolbox and you'll find um, all kinds of ways that you can grow as a follower of Jesus. If you're a leader and you want to just start to grow as a leader and what that looks like, um, talk to your local pastor, your local church, and, and go to this page and work through what it means to be a volunteer, team leader, ministry leader, and potentially even a uh, staff member down the road. Uh, but remember that discipleship is is always a together kind of thing. It's a, it's a uh, me and uh, Jesus and me and others. Um, it's That is what true discipleship is all about. So uh, we really want to see that happen because if if we can get, as John was just talking about, if we can get disciples, making disciples in these core groups, triads, quads, whatever it is, and see that begin to multiply, we'll be really be able to see, we'll be, we will really be able to see discipleship multiply within our churches mm -hmm. as a result. Mm -hmm. um, it's and infectious. It, it is. And, um, and it, it can't be stopped when it's done right and done in a healthy way. Yeah. And so uh, that's what we're passionate about. That's what we're excited about. And so any resources you want to throw out there um, that may have helped you along your journey um, before we wrap up today? Yeah, I talked a lot about self-awareness, and that's really where, where I'm at is, is in a season of continuing to get more self-aware and ask, why do I do the things I do? Why do I respond in certain situations uh, the way I do? And one of the things that I've been going through is uh, Giant Worldwide, um, as, as a consultant, as a guide, and they have a podcast, they have multiple podcasts. One of them is the Liberator podcast, which is really good. And they talk a lot about self-awareness in leadership, leading yourself, knowing yourself to lead yourself so that you can know others and lead them. 
That's good. And then the other, the other resource that you might find on our page is a two Timothy two, two principle. Um, you know, teach these things to other faithful men that will pass them on to even more. Yeah. Amen. Well, don't forget about our Behind Open Doors Spotify playlist. Uh, we gave you some things we we're listening to on the last episode. You can go check that out. It has a good selection of the music and podcasts that we enjoy. So go to multiplythechurch.com slash podcast for the links. And you can try to search Bodpod Mix on Spotify and uh, see if that works for you as well. But for now, it's time to close down the podcast. Remember, though, the doors are always wide open here with the Multiply family. Yeah, if you found this podcast helpful, uh, if there's any any goodness in our stories, um, please be sure to subscribe. Leave a review. Um, if you agree, if you disagree, we're down for those conversations at, on the Facebook page uh, where we have further discussions about each episode. So I hope you got to get to know John Slinker, a little bit better, our director of missions here at Multiply, um, pastor leader at the Grace Collective. And today you can share this episode and others uh, on your social media pages. Do that. And, um, in, and if you've ever asked the question, what does John Slinker do? Listen to this podcast over and over again. You'll be reminded of the heart for mission, the yeah. heart for people. And uh, once again, thankful for you, bro. I was, you know, what is, what do I do? I try to be like Jesus, man. And that's not a joke. I try to be with people. I try to love them and minister to them. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure he had a plan and strategy. I have a plan and strategy too. It's just long term. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I can overschedule myself sometimes, but. I just love being with people and caring for people and teaching people. And you're one of the best at it that I know, man, for sure. I know. <laughs> I, you don't got to say that anymore. <laughs> well, folks, uh, you have been listening to the Behind Open Doors podcast, where we take you behind the scenes, discovering what it takes to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. So let the word dwell richly in you, and may God multiply your efforts for the kingdom. <laughs>